Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're enjoying your weekend. The Kentucky weather has broken all kinds of records in recent weeks. Now there's a change and our chief meteorologist Chris Bailey will join me later. We'll talk about that, but first our coverage of campaign 2019 continues. Democratic candidate for Attorney General Greg Stumbo is here this morning. Stumbo held the office from 2004 to 2008 and is also a former House Speaker and a longtime member of the General Assembly from Eastern Kentucky. He has pushed his experience as a strength while his Republican opponent has called for a new face as the state's top prosecutor. Stumbo started addressing the opioid situation early, more than a decade ago. What does he make of settlements that have been reached? And Stumbo created the now disassembled Kentucky Bureau of Investigation aimed at rooting out public corruption. He says he would reestablish that. I want to welcome Greg Stumbo back to Kentucky Newsmakers. It's been a while. Thanks it has been a while. Thank we appreciate you. Appreciate it. So you've spent uh, you know a long time on the political scene, obviously, and now a few years out of it, at least out of office. Uh, what has prompted you to? Uh, want to leave private practice and once again uh, serve as Attorney General of the Commonwealth. Well, you know, my wife asks me that question about every morning, <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, Bill, you mentioned it in your opening. You know, I was the first Attorney General in the nation to file a lawsuit against a major opioid manufacturer. We sued Purdue Pharma when nobody said you could do it <clears throat> and that the case wouldn't hold up. And we developed a legal theory that uh, has held up and is really the basis for all these cases that are being filed across the nation now. So. I didn't get to finish that case. I was term limited out. And um, for the last two years, I've had the privilege of working with General Bashir on the opioid cases that he's filed because our law firm, in connection with some other law firms, won the bid to help his office. So uh, we have nine cases pending now against other opioid distributors and manufacturers. And I want to finish those. I want to see those cases finished in Kentucky courts I want to see those people accountable to Kentucky jurors, and I want to see the families that have been affected, like my family, have some closure from that whole episode. You know, people, when they go to court, get closure. Uh, win, lose, or draw, it's been my experience, because they get their day in court. And I think Kentucky families have a right to that day in court. As you know, uh, Republicans are saying that uh, Kentucky did not get enough out of those uh, settlements compared to other states like Oklahoma that had uh, got ex exponentially more in the, the settlements that, that were reached. Did we file too early? Did we, uh, did we, how did we uh, not get as much as other states? Well, you got to remember at the time that General Conway settled, it was a record settlement. West Virginia had gotten $10 million, he got $24 million. And a lot of the information that's been made public now because of all the federal court cases that are going on was not available at that time. So, you know, you can armchair quarterback that all day long. Um, but I think you have to remember the timetable. One of the things that we want to do, if I'm elected, is I want to look at that case and see whether or not Purdue Pharma gave him the proper information. I have a sneaking suspicion that Purdue Pharma withheld information, which has now been made public, that we could potentially use to reopen that litigation. In court, there's a court rule that says that if you uh, falsify information, falsify discovery information, then you can actually go back and ask that that settlement be set aside. So what I want to do from day one is go look at that case. I can tell you more about it when I look at the case itself. Uh, so you think there could be a second chance at uh, recovery of damages? I don't believe that Purdue Pharma was forthcoming 
with the information which I'm sure General Conway asked for in his discovery request. If that is the case, then they fraudulently filed information with the court and are subject to having that settlement overturned. You have made uh, some comments that uh, Kentucky's uh, consumer protection laws are not adequate when it comes to, uh, to the No, I didn't say that. Company, Jack so Conway that. said that. He okay. said that our laws weren't as strong as the Oklahoma statute, which... you disagree uh, with that? The, the case was not based upon necessarily uh, consumer protection. The case was based on a tort theory, and the tort theory called for uh, the alleviation of the tort that was committed, the wrong that was committed. So I, I, don't, I don't necessarily buy into that argument. As Kentucky uh, grapples with this ongoing drug problem and the uh, broken families, communities with tremendous uh, expenses and the resources uh, that are having to be laid out and, and, and they have to make choices to do that rather than some projects they might want in their uh, cities and towns and counties, what do we need to do uh, to, to try to get hold of this? We need a large amount of capital to begin a massive program dedicated to treatment, education, and rehabilitation. That's the only way that we're going to start down the road to recovery. And that's what I want to do with these lawsuits that we have pending now. I want to recover a large amount of money that hopefully the General Assembly will use for treatment, education, prevention, and recovery of all addictions, not just opioids, because we have about 400,000 plus Kentuckians in uh, this state that have some sort of addiction and we need to find a way to get them into treatment programs. Kentucky's a prison and jail population uh, keeps climbing. Do we have too many people who are incarcerated when they should be in treatment? We have about 85% or 90% of our, our incarcerated uh, folks at both the county and the state level who relate back to a drug-related crime or a drug-related activity. They break into homes because they are addicts. You know, they get in trouble when they're high uh, doing things. So. If we address the opioid problem, if we start down that road, ultimately there will be a ripple effect that will have a positive impact on our jail population. As you look at that, uh, that jail overcrowding situation, uh, do you favor uh, bail reform that has been uh, proposed that uh, you know, you know, might lessen the number of nonviolent offenders being held uh, pre-trial? Absolutely. And people have to remember, bail is not a punishment. Bail is simply a tool that the court uses to make sure that the offender shows back up in court. We're using bail as a punishment. I was in Middlesbrough talking to the jailer just the other night. He has a gentleman incarcerated for a, a minor drug offense that can't make a $100 bail. Can't make a $100 bail. And so the people of Bell County are paying for his food and uh, while he's in jail every day because he can't simply make a $100 bail. There needs to be some uh, sense brought to that whole uh, situation. You know, the judges, I know the judges don't want to let them out sometimes, but bail, we have to start with the premise. Bail is not a punishment. And uh, so you would support uh, a measure I would support that might reasonable guidelines. I think we have to uh, get the judiciary on board. You know, uh, judges want to impose large bails sometimes because they don't want to be criticized, I think. When they, when the perpetrators back out on the street, you know, they get go out to the, in the community, and somebody says, "Well, so and so did this," and, and here he is back out the next day. But we have to educate the people uh, of our state that bail is not a punishment. Bail is a tool to make sure that the person shows back up 
for his trial date. And over the years, you have uh, portrayed yourself as a hunter and, uh, uh, and uh, a pro-gun uh, candidate when you have uh, run for office, and yet uh, you are also running in these metropolitan areas where there is uh, considerable concern uh, about gun safety. We have had these uh, mass shootings that have happened. There are all kinds of uh, questions about uh, how to move forward on that and various proposals on, on all sides. How do you generally feel about uh, addressing gun safety? Well, I've been a longtime gun advocate, as you know. I've got a 100% voting record with the NRA. But I think like a lot of responsible gun owners, we're willing to look at a reasonable, um, reasonable legislation that might, that might give some relief to, uh, to this situation. I, you know, I know the arguments. I understand them. Um, I do think that there needs to be some meeting of the minds in the middle. Uh, there needs to be something done. I don't, the public's crying out for something to be done. Uh, as we know, drugs, guns don't cause the crimes, the criminals cause the crimes. But uh, I, think, I think like a lot, and I talk to a lot of responsible uh, NRA folks, Bill, responsible gun owners don't mind talking about and maybe even supporting some reasonable form of gun control, as long as it's not uh, a violation of their Second Amendment rights, as long as they don't see it as being obtrusive. I didn't see, uh, for example, I don't see, uh, I didn't see concealed carry as being uh, a violation. You know, you have to go through a permit process. I don't see registering as being uh, obtrusive to my ownership of guns. I don't mind. You know, if, if you if you worry about having a background check before you get a gun, you probably shouldn't have a gun. Let's talk uh, for a moment about uh, immigration, an issue that uh, certainly is, uh, uh, looms large in the country, and it's uh, it become an issue in this race to the extent uh, that your opponent has said that uh, he would protect uh, Kentucky uh, against having sanctuary cities, this sort of thing, that, that, uh, uh, that immigration laws would be enforced uh, if he's elected. Your feeling on that? We don't have any sanctuary cities in Kentucky. That's a cheap political trick. Uh, to try to scare people. We have no sanctuary cities in Kentucky. We have no immigration laws in Kentucky. Those are federal laws. The state prosecutors, uh, when they uh, find people who may have violated, we turn them in to the federal authorities and let the federal authorities deal with it. We did that when I was attorney general before. And yet uh, local officials, mayors and others, can direct their police departments to handle uh, immigration policies uh, the way they want them handled. Well, that's not necessarily the law. Uh, the law is that a mayor can't override what a state or federal law is. So, you know, I'm, I'm a strict constructionist of the law, and if some mayor were to say, well, we're not going to enforce the law, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't stand for that. Similar issue, uh, the, the mar marijuana possession law over in Louisville, uh, the police department is uh, uh, backing off of enforcing that under a directive uh, from uh, the top, apparently. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, Mike O'Connor, the county attorney, said, I'm not going to prosecute those cases anymore. And um, I have a great deal of respect for Mike O'Connor. I understand what he's saying. He's probably right about what he's saying from a policy position. But quite frankly, that's not his decision to make. That's a choice for the General Assembly to make if they want to decriminalize uh, or change the law with possession. You know, I respect him for doing that. I don't have any necessarily problem with our, but it's a slippery slope, you know. I mean, when do you start just deciding which laws you want to obey and which laws you don't if you're uh, in the enforcement business? And I, 
I don't, I don't, I don't like the premise necessarily. I like the outcome, but I don't like the premise. Is it a mixed message for the police officers when they're, uh, you know, their higher ups are telling them this is our policy, but yet the state law is another? Well, I think the proper thing to do, and I would join him before the state legislature and say, let's reform these laws, let's let's open them up a little bit. We've got too many low-level. Uh, drug offenders in jail for possession and things like that with small amounts of marijuana. I don't have any problem doing that, but I think the legislature is the proper form to bring that to. With Greg Stumbo, he's Democratic nominee for Attorney General. He held the office before and he would like to hold it again. And we're coming back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We're glad you're with us today. Democratic nominee for Kentucky Attorney General Greg Stumbo is here. And uh, we do hope to have his uh, Republican opponent, Daniel Cameron, with us uh, here before the election as well. What's it been like for you to return to the campaign trail? Well, the state hadn't gotten any smaller. It's still uh, <laughs> a lot of long nights. and uh, But it, I enjoy uh, the campaign trail. You know, I was at it a, a, in a long time. I enjoy seeing old friends that I hadn't seen for a while. So. Uh, yes, it's tiring. Uh, yes, it takes a toll on not only me, but my family as well. But uh, it's an experience that uh, uh, I enjoy. I enjoy being out campaigning with people. During your tenure, you uh, had the KBI. You established the Kentucky Bureau of Investigation. Uh, uh, you have said you would do it again. And we're going to do it again. And it typically uh, went after public corruption? No, that was just a small part of bill of what they did. They, they went after, they were actually uh, the chief, they confiscated more drugs. My KBI officers confiscated more illegal drugs coming into Kentucky than all the other uh, drug enforcement officials combined. We had a room full of drugs bigger than this whole uh, room that we're in right now that we confiscated because the legislature gave us a law that says you couldn't ship oxycotton into Kentucky from out-of-state pharmacies, which was a big source at that time without uh, a stamp from the Kentucky Board of Pharmacy. So we got uh, we got a lot of those drugs off the street. So the KBI uh, was focused on a number of things. We solved uh, a cold case down in Mayfield, Kentucky of a young lady who'd been raped, uh, murdered, and burned uh, her body. It was a cold case that we inherited from General uh, Chandler's office and we solved that. Our KBI officers solved that. So the record of the Kentucky Bureau of Investigation was uh, pretty darn good and we need them again. And uh, you, you, would that require the legislature's approval to establish that? No, we can do that. We can do that simply the way we did it before by uh, enhancing their training opportunities, mobilizing them, and making them into a more uh, efficient crime-fighting unit. You have, uh, of course, are also remembered for the uh, the merit hiring investigation of the Republican Governor Ernie Fletcher and his administration. Uh, uh, you served the, the same term uh, together there, uh, in indictment of the sitting governor. Uh, should you win, and should Governor Bevin win re-election, uh, could uh, the governor be under the same sort of microscope? Well, we didn't go looking for that in investigation. That was brought to us by a whistleblower. And uh, no, I mean, he shouldn't have to worry about anything that we're going to do to him uh, maliciously. We won't do that. I won't do that. But any, any governor who doesn't obey the law, then there's going to be consequences. I mean, Governor Fletcher, uh, his administration had engaged in activities uh, the whistleblower brought us the information. We looked at it. We had no choice but to begin the investigation because it was clear that the law was probably being violated. Uh, we won't have any trouble with the governor, Governor Bevin or Governor Bashiri, the one as long as they follow the law.
Should they know, though, that uh, your office is there uh, as a watchdog? I would hope that they know that, and certainly uh, it doesn't take a very long look back in history to know that, you know, we believe, I believe, that as part of my job is to make sure that even a governor is accountable to the law. Have you found, uh, when you have been on a campaign trail, have you found any resistance at that, though, that the concern that if there is a, a governor of one party and an AG of the other, that there would be this constant fighting at the top? In well, Frankfurt? people ask that. Yeah, yeah of people ask that because of, obviously, the amount of litigations that's going on between the governor and, and General Bashir. Uh, and I tell them, look, I worked with Governor Bevan when I was Speaker of the House. We passed a budget in 2016. We didn't fuss and fight that much over it. You know, we had differences of policy opinions, but we didn't fuss and fight and we enacted a budget. Um, I don't have any qualms about working with any governor of either party as long as they obey the law. We won't have any we won't have any problems at all. Did you have anything to do with a lawsuit filed against your opponent to try to disqualify him based on the relevant experience? No, I don't know the uh, plaintiff and I don't know the attorneys. Do you agree with the premise of that lawsuit, that, that, that question that it raises? It's a very serious legal question that it raises. I knew that, that there was a question about his having a license. Uh, my opponent doesn't have, he doesn't meet the qualifications of having a law license uh, until the latter part of this month for eight years. The Constitution requires eight years, not of having a license bill, but of practicing law. So what I did was go back to the constitutional debates, which are chronicled over the state law library. And that's what we always did when I was Attorney General. If you have a constitutional question, what did the framers intend? Well, the framers debated whether to use the word licensed or practicing law. And they chose practicing law because they wanted someone that was familiar with the court system, that had actually been involved with the court system. What I didn't know was that while he was law clerking for the federal judgeship, that there's a canon of ethics which he has to abide by which specifically says you shall not practice law while you're a law clerk. You can't, that's black letter law. I didn't make it up. I didn't write it. And if you take those two years away, there's no way that he can constitutionally qualify for the eight-year requirement. Do you regret, uh, you know, the, the, the personal nature of how uh, tough this race has gotten and how politics in general uh, has come to be seen by the public out there? I mean, uh, the, the, you know, th this is a, a rough race you're in right now. There's a lot of money being spent, and, and most of it uh, uh, very critical of the other candidates. Well, politics is a dirty business anymore, and it's a shame that it is. Uh, you know, the gloves are kind of off. You can say things that don't necessarily have the ring of truth, and that's, that's being done. Uh, that's, that started in Washington. It's filtered down to the states now. It's not good for our democracy. I don't know how we're going to get rid of it, but uh, it's just a fact of life. And, you know, I trust the people of Kentucky. They know where uh, I stand on a lot of these things. They know the experience that I bring to the office. I trust their judgment. Uh, you can walk out on the street and you can talk to five people and you probably get six different answers because one of them may not agree with themselves about, you know, the way politics has evolved these days. But uh, it, it's not something that's pleasant, but it's just part of it. And uh, unfortunately, we have to deal with it. Is the Democratic uh, ticket campaigning together some? Yes, uh, it will, very much will, will so. We see a lot, of, and is that important to, to you that uh, that it be seen as a ticket, or uh, is everybody running their individual race? Well, it, it's it's both. Uh, you know, we run as a ticket, obviously, but we also run our individual races. We schedule our own 
events. We do our own fundraising. My office bill is pretty much, uh, pretty much a nonpartisan type office. You know, I tell people, when you get in trouble and you come before the Kentucky Attorney General's office, we don't ask you what party affiliation you have or even if you're registered to vote. We simply follow the laws that relates to your case. I put as many Democrats in jail as I did Republicans before, maybe more. Uh, but we didn't ask. We don't ask. Uh, the, the Attorney General's office needs to be independent, needs to be experienced, and needs to make sure that politics isn't the overriding concern of the decisions you make every day. How do you think it looks for you? I like my, I like my chances. Uh, I've liked the reception that we've gotten. Um, I've enjoyed seeing a lot of old friends on the campaign trail and you know people uh, spontaneously come up at gas stations at supermarkets and uh, on the road pass and, and give you a thumbs up my truck's got a banner on it so uh, I like the way it feels thanks for coming we thank appreciate you for it. having me again we will uh, try to schedule the Republican candidate for Attorney General as well we're back with meteorologist our chief meteorologist Chris Bailey and we'll look at the drought and hot weather we've had Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We're glad you're here. I have been granted entry to the First Alert Weather Center. So what an honor, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it has been a wild ride here in Kentucky with the weather over the last few weeks. We have the record high temperatures. They've been shattered. There have been new records mm -hmm. set that may stand a long time. Yep. Rain has been scarce. Kentucky has had a lot of challenges because of that. WKYT Chief Meteorologist Chris Bailey has been helping guide us through all of this. So let's talk about it. I mean, we have so many records that have, yeah. uh, have gone the way of history. And see, we let you, we gave you entry hoping you would right. change it up a little <laughs> right. bit, right? Well, it's changing. We are, we're getting some yeah, rain, right? look, Looking better. But yeah, you know, you look back at the, really the past six weeks of yeah. weather. It's been historic. I mean, you're coming off of the driest month in recorded history, not only for Lexington, but for the entire state of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And just for Lexington, the records bill go back to 1872. Wow. So you're talking about a lot of months in there. And that's September. And that's September. And we, we only had trace we amounts. Had, we right? had a trace of precipitation. That was it. What to trace? But we had a few sprinkles out at the airport. October 1924 was the prior record holder, but at least in October they measured some rain at a whopping 11 hundredths of an inch. We couldn't even dampen the ground in September. Now at my house I did a little better than that. I picked up two hundredths of an inch. So take mm -hmm. that airport. Right? But, yep. it, you know, still. That's, that's <laughs> so, so you're saying that, like, even in the Dust Bowl era, in yeah, the 30s, never had a, we never had a month this dry. Never approached a month as dry as what we're seeing right now. That's what we just came out of in September. And obviously October has been off to a dry start. Yeah. But you mentioned the heat of September, too. It was the hottest September ever recorded right. in Lexington. I was going to ask you about that. I yeah. mean, it was just uh, relentless, really, the heat. It and, really was. And as a result, you had, uh, you know, uh, football teams mm -hmm. having to change up their practices, yeah. oh, and people goodness. having to make all kinds of alterations. Yeah. And we've all had to run the air conditioning at a time when it used to be yeah. this kind of yeah. time of year you could uh, go without heat or air. Well, for, for a, a lot of while. people, this is their favorite time of year, sure. fall. And, mm -hmm. you know, last year we were kind of robbed of fall because it wouldn't stop raining. Right. Last year was the wettest September ever recorded. So here we are a year later, and Mother Nature is saying, well, let's just go to the other extreme. I mean, we had 11 inches of rain almost last September, zero this September. Mm -hmm. And the first three days of October, were the hottest three days of any October on record. 
We were deep into the 90s. 97, I believe, was the top dog for a high temperature. That's mm -hmm. the hottest temperature ever recorded in Lexington. So think of that. The first, second, and third hottest temperatures ever recorded in Lexington occurred on October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of this year. Isn't that amazing? That is absolutely amazing. And again, those records back to 1872. Uh, was there some kind of you know pattern set up that caused this that, that just held a long time? Yeah, we've yeah. had a high pressure, basically, a southeast ridge, it's called. It just sitting over the southeastern part of the country. It didn't move. So fronts couldn't penetrate. It's like it's throwing up a big stop sign mm -hmm. to everything moving across the country. So that stuff would get to about the Mississippi River and it'd say, okay, I'm done because I'm hitting this high pressure, which had eaten its Wheaties. Mm -hmm. All right, it was mm -hmm. the biggest, yeah. baddest boy on the block. So it was beating up everything that was trying to come at it. And in doing so, we couldn't get any rain. So there's a feedback mechanism. As that ground dries and dries and dries, the air heats up quicker. Dry air heats up quicker and cools down quicker. You know, so now we're beginning to see a change. We're, yeah, big change. we're looking at some rain mm -hmm. that's coming our way, yeah. much cooler. I mean, yeah. this is a, a pretty dramatic shift all of a sudden. Listen, right? I mean, the pattern is flipping like yeah. this. Yeah. So as quickly as we flipped it from wet to yeah. dry, we're doing that now. So we're going into a much colder pattern. We're going to be normal or a little below normal for the week ahead and some much needed rains coming later today and into Monday too. Some areas could pick up an inch or two of rain, which would be more than we've had in the prior two months. Although we have that uh, very dry ground, I'm sure yeah. it will soak it right oh, up. Oh, absolutely right? yeah. will. But, and you know, we got to get a, an inch or two of rain about every week now to really catch up for mm -hmm. the next month mm -hmm. or so. But this is a pattern that for fall weather lovers, this is right up your alley. And it's going to turn a lot colder as the month goes on too, not just toward the climatology, but maybe colder than we should be yeah. by the end of the I month. mean, we typically have some frost in October. Yeah, right? I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if the next week to 10 days we don't have our first frost around here, or at least some patchy areas of frost. And uh, it's a colder pattern. One of the years I've been looking at for going ahead, I won't give too much away mm -hmm. in the fall and winter to come, but it was 1939. Bill, we were in the 90s all the way up until I believe the 11th of October, mm -hmm. and it snowed before Halloween. Wow. And then we had 40 inches of snow that following. You know, winter. nothing would surprise you at this point, right? <laughs> That's the truth. Okay, and, and I know you do your, your winter forecast yeah, yeah. next month, and, uh -huh. and, and maybe you'll grant us entry well, yeah, again. Yeah, and we'll, absolutely, we'll, we'll get especially that, uh, since you're bringing us good rain luck. Yeah, that's right. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about that uh, then. But just uh, long term, what you're saying is that uh, yeah. we could shift and, and, and go in a different direction. Without, and I think we're doing that right now, and a lot of people have been saying, okay, is this a sign? that we're just in for a hot blazing fall and winter ahead. No, there's very little correlation mm -hmm. with what goes on uh, this time of year compared to where we're going. I mean, just think of how quickly things changed this year from incredibly wet to inc incredibly dry. Yeah. There's no correlation between earlier this year and now. Well, we've all lived some history the last few we weeks. We really have, and it's history. Know? I hope we don't repeat it anytime soon. Living through it once, that's enough for me, right? Yeah, I got you. All right, Chris Bailey, thank you. Our you chief bet. meteorologist here at WKYT. That's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you for joining us. I'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning. Chris is with you in the evenings and at night, and we hope you make it a good week ahead.